What's up, guys? This is Zach Catanzaro, co-host of Song Confessional, and this is our first episode of 2023. And it's actually our first episode ever. We decided to turn back the clocks. We've been out for a while. It's been four years, a lot of bands, a lot of songs, and figured it was time to uh, go back to the beginning where it all started. Uh, Croy and the Boys, Austin's very own, with their hit single, Don't Let Me Die in Waco, it's amassed over a million streams. It became an anthem at various sporting events around Austin. Um, and, you know, a lot's changed since then. The world's a completely different place. I cut off all my hair. Walker's got muscles now. You know what hasn't changed? This song still slaps. So here it is, our very first episode from 2019 with Croy and the Boys. Hey, everybody. This is Walker Lukens, and you are listening to the first episode of the song. Let me explain to you what we do here in the Song Confessional. We have this little blue camper trailer and we've converted it into a mobile recording slash confessional booth. So we travel all over the country, people uh, get in the trailer and they tell us stories anonymously. They tell us all sorts of stuff and we pick our favorite stories and we give them to our favorite songwriters and bands who then write and record original music. On this podcast, you're going to hear the confession that inspired the song, you're going to hear the premiere of that song and an interview with the songwriters who wrote it. I'm sitting here with my partner in crime. What's your name, partner? What's going on, guys? I'm Zach. Zach, what's your last name for the no, cops listening? Fair, for them, for all the cops listening. Yeah. My last name's Catanzaro. You'll forget that instantly. You've already forgotten my it's last true. name. Yeah. But he's Zach Catanzaro. And, and Zach, uh, how do we know each other? How do we end up here at, at KUTX right now recording this podcast? We basically spent what, the past six years now together, almost. almost every single day of our lives, uh, touring the country, playing music, writing music, recording music, True. and all the things that go with that. And lots of sitting in a van together. And lots of sitting in a van together, which we were like, hey, what if we were in a trailer? Hey, what if we did this other thing that wasn't playing music? Yeah. And so, here we, and here here we, we are. are. Yeah. Here we are. About a year and a half of doing this together, and um, finally we get to share it with the world. So that's exciting. Thank it's you guys for listening. It's true. And a little known fact, uh, we spend more time with each other than we do with our uh, significant others. Very true. My my wife is uh, still coming to terms with that. <laughs> but it gets better every day. Because <laughs> she, she likes you on, enough. That's you good. Know? So on this podcast, you will hear the, the, the story. We call it the confession. You're going to hear the confession from the anonymous person. And then you're going to hear the song it inspired. And then you're going to hear an interview with the songwriter. And who is our songwriter today? We've got Croy and the Boys, uh, head songwriter's Corey Baum, also known as Bad Boy Croy. We didn't ask him, but we like to believe he gave that nickname to himself. Uh, absolutely. And that that's okay. And then that's okay. We we both have, we both agree that's okay. Anyone else? Eh, not okay. Yeah, probably Pretty not okay. Weird. But but Corey, he is Bad Boy Croy. If you see a picture of him, you're just like, yep. Yeah, that makes sense. The Croy and the Boys uh, just released an album called Howdy High Rise. I, uh, I highly suggest checking it out. We do discuss it in the interview later. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. First, let's hear the confession that inspired today's song. Confession. Hello. Hello. Uh, you, you know what we do here in this trailer? I have a general idea. It's kind of a story time, right? Yeah, I always tell people, uh, you know, just pretend you're talking to a stranger at the at the bar and uh, start from the beginning. Tell me, tell me everything. 
I might ask you some questions at the end. Okay, sounds good. Um, well, this all started, or it all happened when I was um, I was in college. I was 19 um, in Fort Worth, Texas, and me and my buddy Kevin were bored one weekend. It was kind of a dead weekend, not a lot going on. Um, so we thought we'd go to Austin where all of our, you know, a lot of our friends were in school and liked to hang out and stuff. And we were, uh, well, I didn't have a car at the time. And Kevin actually, it's a separate story, but he got hit. His car was totaled. It was hit by lightning. Um, wow. But so you guys both didn't have a car and you... We didn't uh, have a car. Uh, we, so we, I'd done this a couple times. Just t We'd take the Greyhound from Fort Worth to Austin and, and you know, it's pretty easy and cheap and there's only one stop in uh, Waco. So... So it was like a Friday. We get on. Uh, we get to the station. We get on the on the bus, and I remember I'm walking in, and we, we were uh, making our way to the back, and there was this guy, probably two or three rows in front of us, uh, you know, kind of homeless-looking guy, and we made eye contact. He was wearing a hoodie. He's kind of looking uh, like he didn't he didn't want to make eye contact with anyone, or he, you know, he he looked tired maybe but anyways we sit down in the back uh we're kind of bullshitting the whole way um we make it quite a while um and then we get to we get to waco um just you know 35 takes you through waco if you're going to austin from from fort worth or dallas and so we uh it was like a planned stop i guess you know bathroom break and i think we picked up a few folks but we stopped in Waco and everyone gets up and you know gets off the bus and then we went to the bathroom and we're going to get back on the bus and uh, they wouldn't let us on we're kind of trying to figure out what's going on and then uh, ambulance showed up and we're sitting in this bus station in Waco and they carted off the guy who was two rows in front of us he was uh, uh, dead he died Whoa. on on the bus you know a couple of feet from us and it was uh it was super surreal um just to know that somebody somebody's life had ended right in front of us and, and, you know while we were probably talking and anyways did uh, they did they tell you he died uh no <laughs> that was kind of the funny thing was they didn't really do a lot uh we, we saw him we saw him come off on the stretcher um, but, uh, we, when we got back on the bus, we saw the bus driver was back there where the guy had been uh, sitting and he just sprayed down the seat with Febreze and went back to his, uh, <laughs> his seat. And so we of course sat at the very front of the bus at that point. Um, oh and we're freaking out a bit. I don't know. I, I think we thought, you know, there, there would be more, um, health concerns with that but no it's just a little febreze and we were on our way again to austin uh, and uh just kind of coincidentally you know we we finally got there it was kind of an emotional afternoon we were ready to kind of unwind and party with our friends and uh anyways we get to where we were staying it was a building i think it's still there called towers and a, a dorm kind of um, huge dorm huge dorm um, and we went up to our buddy's place we were staying in and almost immediately 
we had been to towers before and you know it's kind of a crazy party place and you know, people punch the ceiling tiles out there's parties in every room and it was you know it was fun at the time uh but it was dead i mean it was like there weren't there weren't any people any kids moving around there wasn't any music playing um we finally figured out what was going on uh the night before we got there uh, a fraternity guy had had too much to drink and fallen off of a balcony at towers like where we were staying and he died um you know there were cones on the ground right outside of the the dorm where he had fallen it was just it was crazy it was like obviously people weren't feeling very social or or uh you know yeah fuck it was yeah how how did you guys figure that out like that he had died like you went from the from because this is like you know you get to the bus station and then you get to towers and it's dead and you asked we we asked uh, our friend who we were staying with nikki we said hey man what's going on and he was like uh actually there was a incident here uh, someone fell off the balcony and died uh last night and so it was it was a big deal at, on campus a lot of um people knew this guy he was well liked and it's pretty sad yeah well so so that's that's friday right so then what did you do the rest of the weekend it was a it was a kind of a bummer of a weekend we didn't do much no one wanted to do anything i mean it was we should have probably just stayed at home but um i can't remember what we did i think we went to players and ate burgers and um that was it we tried to tried to get people to go out but this this incident had just kind of silenced the entire west campus world wow damn man that's a that's a it that's a pretty great story <laughs> as as uh, intense as it is yeah it was um something i'll never forget for sure it was uh you know i've never had anyone die in front of me before well, that's not true i've never had anyone die like that you know it was unexpected um yeah so it was like uh it was one of your first experiences with death for sure yeah um and my most intimate experience. I mean, I didn't interact with the guy much at all, but we definitely made eye contact, and yeah. I think I can still picture his face. You know, he had a kind of a black beard and kind of these these old uh, sunken eyes. It was uh, it's something I'll never forget. Yeah. Production. All right, y'all. Imagine it's the hottest day of August 2018, and you're sitting in a little blue trailer outside of Native Hostel in Austin, Texas. You are Corey Baum, a.k.a. Bad Boy Croy, and you are sweating your ass off. You've got four hours to write and record an original song, and what do you do? You write that song in one hour. One hour. You send your band to the bar to drink, and you get down to business. And you know the craziest thing? For Corey Baum, that took a long time. And now the world premiere of the song inspired by that confession, Don't Let Me Die in Waco by Croy and the Boys.
I said this prayer. I said, Lord, don't let me die and wake up anywhere but there. I'd sooner die and sooner or a dumbass Aggie than to go in the land of the Baylor Bear. Don't let me die and wake up. Bus driver just to Austin after that heroin ride still searching for a lively weekend to celebrate love and life we found good reason of an unlikely sort some lucky cuss file from a balcony that took a frat boy's life his friends were all in mourning until we arrived I said it could be a whole lot worse friends for he died as he Long horn proud in Bebo's name. 
That is the most I have ever cared about college football. Yeah, it's really got that fight song vibe to it. That the chorus is just it's it's kind of perfect if you're a UT fan. And it reminds me of going to like uh, like a barbecue at one of my neighbors' houses growing up, and all the dads singing Jerry Jeff Walker and singing all that old like Texas country stuff, and mm-hmm. just being kind of like smashing having, their beers together yeah, and having beer and spilled on them all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, First time you smelled like beer in your life. Yeah, this song smells like beer. This song smells like cheap beer. And again, you just heard "Don't Let Me Die in Waco" by Croy and the Boys. You can listen to and download that song. Where, Walker? Anywhere, everywhere. Anywhere you stream music, man. You can Spotify, Spotify Apple Music, music YouTube. Deezer, uh, YouTube. Yeah. These nuts. These nuts. It's everywhere. Interview. 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 Hey, who am I talking to? Walker Lukens. No, I'm Walker Lukens. Oh. Who are you? Corey Baum, a.k.a. Bad Boy Croy. And what's, uh, what's the name of your band? Croy. And the boys. This song that you wrote, what's the name of the song? Don't Let Me Die in Waco. Do you uh, do you follow college football? I don't really co- follow college football. I, I ask because uh, I think that people who've never, who don't know the, the backstory to this and who just hear the chorus, yeah, they're going to read it as a kind of uh, football fight thing. Sure, totally. I mean, if it wasn't connected to this project, I would probably rewrite it to be more explicitly just a college football thing, because I think that's, like, at this point, the funnier part of it. But, you know, it's like, it's got to be this other thing. Well, I wonder whether... uh, Part of me thinks that because uh, you don't have any skin in the game, it's why you were able to write that song. Yeah. (laughs) Because people who care about it care way too much. I mean, I follow professional football quite a bit um i don't love to talk about it because the nfl is like a dark horrible organization that i hate everything about do you think it's darker than college football they both are pretty horrible (laughs) but the sport of football is like i think a beautifully complex really interesting sport Mm -hmm. um i think the thing for me is i don't like i don't like watching football with people who love like i don't like going to sports bars watch a game i've never been to that and uh I just I find college college football screwed up, man. Why don't they pay those players? I know the that's definitely the biggest thing is the amount of money it generates. That to me, and then those dudes that can't even like, Mm -hmm. they get like a free tattoo for being on the team, and they literally get like suspended, and then maybe don't ever go pro because of. I mean, it's it it is all really exploitative and horrible. I go back and forth though because I do think that like modern society is so mundane, and like so many people's lives are just like so like hard and then also bland mm-hmm. eliciting like passion in anything is like a good thing to me so i mean i wish they were more passionate maybe about social justice or something but like at least they're like experiencing passion for something you know what i mean yeah. like that's so i i kind of i don't totally mind sports fandom at all i like it you know i like i and i like being a sports fan and i like it gives me an opportunity wearing sports gear and stuff gives me an opportunity to talk to people yeah like I'll be in line at H E B and it's like someone behind me who I we, we normally wouldn't speak to each other. It's like I got a Detroit Lions hat on or something. Yeah. And next thing I know we're talking we're talking about sports and stuff. And so it's like I think it bridges people, it bridges things. I I do like I like sports fandom. I'm but. envious of of people who love a team. And the reason I'm envious envious of it is it's such a 
pure and simple hobby. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just love your damn team. Yeah. And it's it gives you something to do. With football also, for me, before we went on air, you were talking mm-hmm. about um, one of the things about touring and getting older and being a musician is just like the lack of schedule and how that kind of starts to drive you nuts sometimes. Yeah. So for me, I really, you know, because I was always interested in sports, but it came and went. Because as an artist, it's like sometimes you're like rebelling against everything. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're like... You know, so I was raised around it, like just normal working class family where sports were around. And then I like rebelled against everything. And then, I, yeah, it would come and go. Mm-hmm. But um, really when I moved to Austin, I like really fell back in love with sports and my teams and stuff. Partly because I was so far away from home. So it gave me like an attachment to my home. But also Wait, because... who are your teams real quick? Like, I'm a Detroit sports back. fan. Okay, so Detroit I, sports. So okay. I like Lions and Pistons mostly. Cool. I don't really follow baseball or hockey. But for football specifically, it's like it just happens the same time every single week. And so it's like the one constant in my life during football season, you know, yeah. where everything else is just like sometimes I'm waking up at 7 a.m. to go landscape. Sometimes I'm going to work at midnight to go play a show. It's just like yeah. so chaotic and it's just like up and down. And so it's at least like Sunday is just like the one part of my routine where it's like uh, at least on Sunday I know I'm watching football. You know and so it's football. like, yeah. That's really why it probably became a big part of my life at some point in my like mid twenties was because it was like just the only grounding thing I had, yeah really you know. So you said that you where are you from? So I'm from Bowling Green, Ohio. In in the artistry of a uh, Cory Baum, Bad Boy Croy. Does where you're from matter? Like what did it teach you? <clears throat> being big from time, there? man. I think it influences everything. I mean, I think where I'm from. I think just wherever I'm at matters a lot. I feel like I really like, I don't know, I really cherish having like a sense of space and, and, and place and I like really let what's happening around me like affect my output as an artist. So I really like the identity of being a Midwesterner and that's one reason that I really loved coming down to Texas because there's like obviously it's like the strongest state identity <laughs> out of yeah. any of them probably. So like I really like that I'm making... Texas inspired music kind of from like a base and being like a rust belt midwesterner and then also I came up you know I'm 34 so I was like really coming of age like in the late 90s early 2000s which is like really when like deindustrialization and like white flight and stuff had fully just decimated all the cities up there so I think that had a big effect on me because culturally you'd still have to go to like Toledo and Detroit to like go to concerts and do things but it was just like they just felt like super forgotten cities, you know? There were still yeah. tons of people living there, but, like, people were really struggling, and, and they still are. Mm-hmm. So I think that all, like, shaped my worldview as far as how I see just yeah, modern society and who it supports and who it leaves behind. And How does a city like Austin compare to a city like Toledo or... Well, for one, I had never seen a building being built downtown. Like, those wow. cities were just, like, falling in on themselves yeah. the whole time I lived there. And like all cities in America, they're, like, experiencing revitalization, I think. I don't know about Toledo. I don't know if anybody's moving to Toledo. But Detroit is, I don't know how ethical or inclusive it is, but they are, like, fixing stuff up downtown. Mm-hmm. But so Austin, the first thing that struck me, yeah, was just an actual, like, vibrant downtown space, which has since become a space I don't think I'm, like, welcome in anymore. <laughs> like, it's, like, evolved way past, like, mm-hmm. which some, like, podunk idiot like me is... I have no business going down there. It's like, you know, whatever. Yeah, but. it's definitely, <laughs> in, over the last 10 years, I mean, the <laughs> yeah. vibe downtown is completely different. Yeah. You know, 
Austin like likes to think of itself as a progressive city or that's like it's marketing. So it felt cool when I first moved here to like be in a quote unquote progressive space because I hadn't really been in that. And uh, yeah, you know, the arts are obviously like recognized as being important and, and supported to a degree. So I just got back from a Midwest tour and the thing mm-hmm. I'm always blown away by is just how many beautiful buildings are abandoned. Yeah. Like you're saying, the the downtown spaces, Yeah, you know, are empty. It's just, it's wild when you, when you think about um, yeah the kind of growth and development that's happening here right. and how contentious it is and how many people we're displacing and, yeah. all, you know, all sorts of really, really tough stuff. And then you go to a city like that where it's like, you, you can get an amazing building for very cheap. Well, when you, yeah, when you travel through the Midwest, you realize like, I don't know, can we go all the way here on this podcast? This is why I think, dude, there's no saving the arts in Austin, okay? All the intangibles that make a place like a haven for artists are already gone in Austin and you can't bring it back. Like, Mm -hmm. the main thing is just affordability. The main thing is that we just, like any working people, it's affordability, but for artists specifically, it's like it's not conducive for us to act like business people and to have to like, <laughs> I don't know, like plan out my like creative week as if it's like a nine to five and make sure I'm like working on it yeah. 40 hours a week and all that stuff. Like you need downtime. You need time to reflect, yeah. to consume other art and media and stuff and like, you know, like marinate on that. And then, and so when you travel through the Midwest and you run into these artists that are up there that are st- like mm-hmm. living in these really inspiring, beautiful spaces, and they're paying barely anything for them. And it's you just see what Austin used to be, which is like working a part-time job mm-hmm. and then a little supplemental something else. And you're totally fine and you're able to like focus on being a creative. And it's like we're so far past that in Austin. It's just like such a grind to live here and in most big cities. I've got friends in Cleveland that are doing similar stuff where it's just like just these beautiful, beautiful spaces. I, don't, I have no idea what kind of art I'd be making if I just had like – could wake up when I wanted, drink some coffee, and like look out over like a skyline from like a giant warehouse space that yeah. like I own. And you know, it's like if you're a creative type person, you are like generally like a fun loving individual. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you're like you're seeking like the freedom of like a creative life. So then you wind up just like getting that from just like small time local kicks, and you just can't like yeah get out yeah. and actually experience the road like you used to when your rent was. $450 a yeah. month, you know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think another thing that, that happens is like it, it amps up the competition. Yeah. But not in a good way. Right. It's not that people are inspired by each other. It's that, uh, they're, they're in competition for the, for things that should be like, you know, victories for all, you know, things like yeah. getting certain opening slots or sure. You play certain clubs or yeah. things that we should really like not even take. We don't feel like it. Like, yeah, dumbass corporate shit that I get offered, you know, and I'm like, I don't want to do this gig, but it pays so good. I have to do it. I call it sitting yeah. on the tech company face. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's yeah. hilarious. And, but, uh, yeah. And then, and then you get submitted to like the board and then they don't pick you and you pick one of your friends and I'm like, man, fuck him. You know what? It's like, oh good. Now I'm mad at my friend over a terrible gig. <laughs> so I was like, it's like actually bad for either one of us to play. I definitely noticed uh, about your music, about your songwriting, I should say, that yours is like the voice of a little bit of an outsider. 
and and, uh, and I mean it only as a compliment, but like, you know, I think in country music, there are so many tropes. Like yeah. as a songwriter, you don't ever have to say, you don't have to find a sexy topic. Like in country music, you can just do tropes. You can just do tropes and <laughs> yeah. they're great. And there's yeah, so yeah. many, and especially we're getting this kind of, you probably have a better um, grasp on it than I do, but we're going through some kind of revival yeah. with this vaguely outlaw country. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I feel like it's just people like us not hiding the fact that they're sort of like us, but still dressed in country. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It just feels much more relatable. Um, but I think even in that context, like I think some of the stuff that you sing about is far more uh, controversial than like that stupid Sergio Simpson record no one will shut up about. Do you <laughs> well, know what I'm trying I mean, to say? Just subject matter. 100%. I mean, it's ridiculous to me that anybody would think that subject matter that was considered outlaw mm-hmm. in 1977 or something would still be outlaw would still now. be outlaw yeah. now. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, oh, you're singing about whiskey and cocaine? Like, yeah, man. Been happening now for like 40 years. Like, not a. Not, but, you know, not that's that that our, stuff's bad. Or that's like, our heritage. It, but it's like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, it's just not. Yeah. That isn't pushing any envelopes. Sounding like something that's already happened is. That can't be pushing an envelope, you know, pushing anything forward because mm-hmm. it's like retroactive or something. Well, how did you feel towards The Confessor? Like, when you were writing this song, did you feel differently about the subject than you do about other subjects? Or for you, what was it like for you? Hmm. That I feel different. Well, I've never done anything like that before. I've never, I really haven't done any co-writing. I never really like, it's not like I think like, I want to write a song about gentrification or something. You know, it's really is like. Like when you sit down. I just have, I don't really even sit down. It's like, I write a lot of songs. I used to work at landscaping, which I might get back into now that my son's in daycare, unfortunately. <laughs> I thought I was done with it. Um, you know, and I worked door at bar for a long time. I just have always done jobs that are like zero mental. They don't take any of my mental space. And so I, I write a lot while I'm at work. So I'm just like sitting on a stool checking IDs or like just shoveling. Yeah. Uh, something will just pop into my head, you know, where I just like. So anyways, I'd never really like purposefully approached a story or subject matter where it's like, I want, I need to turn this into a song. It's yeah. usually like just a sentence just gets caught in my head and then I just like start singing the sentence instead of saying it. And then that's like the foundation of the chorus or something. Yeah. So I really can't even compare it to anything because I, I had, that was like, this is like the only time I've ever written with such purpose where it's like it has to get done and I have to like use this as the subject so so uh, just just for point of comparison but like a song like Howdy High Rise yeah like how long did that take to write um I mean usually less time than this song took to write really yeah usually within an hour I'm done with songs wow I mean I might fine tune some like verse stuff but I usually Usually, I have a bad habit. I mean, it's something I'd like to work on, honestly. It's like usually if I don't have, if I don't get it out in that first little like burst, I'm, I probably won't finish it. It's like really hard for me to come back. Yeah. So I've got like a million, literally one million unfinished songs. So I just have these like little points. It's like I want to talk about that. I want to talk about like, uh, <laughs> I should have had the lyrics for that song in front of me if I was going to well, try to dissect l- this. But let's like, talk about Don't Let Me Die in Waco. Like, okay, what yeah. are the points for that? I mean, that one is 
I guess pretty easy because he had already laid out the story for I since I didn't live that experience from let me, don't let me die in Waco I only had what he told me so it was just like just get it done just get it done yeah, yeah. and I, I one thing I want to get better at is like I have a bad habit of starting at the beginning and ending at the end and yeah. we just work through it as opposed to like starting somewhere and then revealing um like which I basically do with don't let me die in Waco it's just like yeah. exactly in the exact same way that he told me it was like got on the bus saw the guy Guy died, kept going on the bus, got to Austin. Yeah. You know. I do think, though, in your song, the meaning of the chorus changes. Oh, I I mean, the first yeah. meaning of the chorus is yeah. you know you're talking about these two kids going on a trip. Yeah, yeah. And, and the guy died in Waco. You're like, fuck, not here. Yeah. And then after the second verse is revealed, yeah. Yeah. it's like it's more about death and less about the cities. Yeah. Interesting. I, I'm taking off my uh, tweed jacket now. <laughs> but, uh. All right, so I'm going to ask a tough, hard-hitting question here. Okay. Like I said, if I had written this song, it would have been really morbid. Why Why, why is your song funny? Like, <laughs> what, what were you channeling? Or what's wrong with you, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I don't think the story is really all that morbid or even needs to be all that traumatic. Nothing happens to those list like, to the... To the boys. To the boys. Like, the yeah. point of view is from nothing happens to them. They, like, are near death a couple times. That's no big deal. Who cares? True. So, I didn't really I didn't really think too deeply on it when I wrote it, but thinking on it now, it's like, I don't. I wasn't particularly, like, moved by, like, by the, what, the trauma the, yeah. of it. There was no trauma involved. Maybe if it was, like, he was telling me about, like, his son who died on a bus yeah. alone in Waco. Or, like, he was telling me yeah. about, like, his best friend who fell off a balcony next to him mm-hmm. or something. But it was, like, just kind of vaguely around it is not that serious of a thing to me. So so you're saying I'm fucked up. That's the subtext yeah, of yeah, your response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you're just, like, <laughs> self-serious and self-important or something that you think that, like, <laughs> being so, near I'm it is, like, traumatic so to somebody. Guilty. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. But, I mean, I do think that humor is a nice way to talk about serious subjects. That's kind of what I do with all my stuff. I also think that, that but, when you're working with humor and it's it's sarcastic, yeah, you know, or I, I don't know if this is just sarcastic or if it's ironic, but you give yeah. you give layers to the song. Yeah. So, like, I'm, I mean, I'm sincerely hoping that someone hears this song and they're like, fuck yeah, Longhorn football, man. Yeah, me too. You know? I don't and think that's it. it. And that's you know, it I'd them. really try not to deal on irony too much i'm not a huge fan of irony sarcasm for sure i like sarcasm a lot and country music because i mostly deal on that it's like it's just got such a honest rich tradition even though i mess with the conventions of country in my own little way it comes from like a place of reverence for like the genre and the history of it and how important it is to people so i don't want someone to like accidentally genuinely like something I'm doing and then find out that I was being ironic about it. That seems like a, just an awkward situation. So I just try to avoid by like... You don't want to write the Okie from Muskogee is what you're telling me? Man. Fuck that song. <laughs> you don't like that song? I hate that song. I mean, I don't like There's it a either. Couple, but... I, listen, I think Merle Haggard is like one of the greatest of all times. Like, I think if someone has no idea what country music is, they're from another planet. Mm-hmm. Merle is like the distilled perfection of country music to me. Like, But he's got some shithead songs that I've fucking hate okay but Muskogee it's annoying there's all this debate about was he serious was he ironic I don't care it had the effect it had which was like give it a bunch of rednecks a chance to like double down on like hating other people yeah that's why it's dangerous to deal in that world yeah I try to avoid it 
being an artist in Austin is kind of a weird game. I've been doing it. I really identified with that. I've been living on the east side basically the same amount of time as Corey, slightly longer. Um, and I, I mean, we're we're living in a different city now, completely through and through. It's yeah, it's interesting. I also think that he's right about uh, the fact that Austin's kind of beyond repair. Mm. for, for oh, right. our people yeah I I, hey don't get me wrong i love living here same i've had an amazing experience and i've had a, a lot we were, of great we were lucky enough to get here when it was still relatively affordable which like yeah. once you have the roots staying is a little easier than mm-hmm. showing up and i honestly i feel like personally like i got here maybe just a just a little too late yeah you know because you you've been, I've been living here, here longer. longer yeah i've been uh, here a little bit longer it's true and i love living here and there are a lot of great opportunities for being a musician but even like artists who are 10 to 15 years, they've been here 10 to 15 years long. I mean, they, it's unrecognizable mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. You know? So in that sense, I mean, I think, I definitely think Corey is, is just right. He is. Cause there was like, there's a weird mix of both more and less opportunity. It's like, there's, there's more gigs. There's more, you know, that lovely word exposure. Yeah. Um, but less opportunity to really stand out or to really get people to care as much as they used to. Uh, there's just, I mean, it's also the world we live in. There's just so much competition with live music these days. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think the, the thing that he said that I identify with the most is that the biggest thing that helps my creativity is free time. Mm-hmm. I have no fucking free time. Yeah. I haven't had free time in years. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just very easy to lose sight. I think of, how important free time and boredom is to to create a be, process to create a process. Yeah, no, that's and, well said. And that's the part where that I really identify with him is that I just think that that's gone mm-hmm. in this town. We're beyond repair. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean there's not still going to be music. It doesn't mean we the, don't the hustle, the hustle and bustle that has grown has mm-hmm. taken away that chill vibe of free time that Austin was yeah. known for. Yeah. What was the nickname for Austin? The Velvet Rut. Yeah. 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 Great nickname. It is a good nickname. I uh I think another another thing about about Corey and about this song, you know, I mean, I, I said it in the interview, but it, it, I would have written us a very sad song. Oh yeah, and he didn't. Yeah, and I loved his answer, which is basically like, I just don't think it's that tragic to be next to next to death with next no death, relation, with no relation, with no personal you know? effect of any kind. Which which like so true you yeah. are so right it's happening every day yeah. you can read about somebody dying in the news every single day yeah I, I and he's um he's spot on about that and i think it's interesting because i know that for for me and you part of what uh drove this project in a way is that we've both lost people very close to us in mm-hmm. our lives mm-hmm. and so i think that for me hearing that story you your I personal go back there. yeah your personal trauma yeah comes i go up, back which, to that yeah mine too and it's mine really too. it is really refreshing to just be talking with someone who's like it's not traumatic yeah <laughs> So it's true. like such a good, healthy perspective. Yeah. And good to be reminded that like uh, you can you can hear that story uh, and just make a funny ass fucking country totally. song out of it. And because it's so because the guy that's telling it has not experienced an ounce of trauma. A group of really amazing musicians worked on this song. On bass guitar, we have Amy Hawthorne. On drums, we have Casey Seymour. On piano and organ, we have Joe Cornetti. And on guitar, we have Doug Walseth. On acoustic guitar and vocals, that is Bad Boy Croy, Corey Baum. Uh, that is uh, me and uh, Aaron Blackerby, who works on this podcast. And, and his uh, mom? 
No, no, Paul she didn't, didn't make, make it. it. Oh, but uh, but Rocky from the Reputations, we're all singing backup on that track. This song was produced, mixed, and engineered by Jim Eno at Public Hi-Fi with assistant engineering by Grant Epley. It was mastered by Chris Longwood. The Song Confessional podcast is produced by myself, Zach Catanzaro, Walker Lukens, Ryland Kettery, Aaron Blackerby, Jim Eno, and our man Mike Lee. The theme song that you heard at the top was written by uh, by me. It was performed by me, Zach Catanzaro, James Wesley Essery, and uh, engineered by old uh, Grant Epley at Public Hi-Fi. If you enjoyed the podcast, I highly recommend that you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Song Confessional, and that you sign up for our mailing list at www.songconfessional.com. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to KUTX for distributing this thing. If you like this song, it's available everywhere you stream music. Don't let me die.